And we're going to look at Jeremiah chapter 20. And uh, we're going to talk about today the challenge of God's mission. It is a challenge. It's a challenge in a lot of ways. It can be difficult. It can be hard to figure out. Uh, so uh, we want to look at a prophet who is <clears throat> a, a human being struggled with knowing God's purpose, being on God's mission, struggling with the results of that calling and maybe not always going where he thought it would go and how to, how to move forward with that. He's not perfect. No one is, right? Sometimes we read the Bible and we read Paul or Jeremiah or Isaiah. I think they got it all down pat, but we learn they're made of the same stuff we are. So, uh, as I grow older, one observation I made is that life can change in a hurry. In a blink of an eye, your whole life can change. <clears throat> sometimes they're life-altering. Sometimes we just move on. George Lucas, the famed writer and director of Star Wars, actually wanted to be a race car driver. That's why he had all those fast engines and, and vehicles in his, in his Star Wars movies. But the goal was changed after he was involved in a serious car accident three days before his high school graduation. He suffered several broken bones and bruised lungs. Reflecting on that crash during his recovery, he changed his goal. No longer wanted to be a race car driver. And he changed it to pursue a career in film. And as they say, the rest is what? History. <clears throat> he became famous for such films as what? Star Wars, I mentioned that one. Some of you older folks, huh? Huh? What, did, what films did he become famous for? Yep, Indiana Jones. There you go. American Graffiti. Did anybody ever see American Graffiti? That was actually based on his life in Modesto, California. And uh, that's it, yeah. Life can change in a hurry, can it? Cristobal Cruzan is another movie director of lesser fame. How many have heard of him? I didn't until I started researching this message. <laughs> he experienced a life change as well, but apparently with a little more spiritual significance to it. Christian, as a young child, was significantly influenced by his grandmother named Wheezy. She was very devout in her faith, and Crusan remembered her praying a lot. However, at 11 years old, Wheezy died when, when uh, Crusan was 11. And it was a significant moment in his life. 
Approximately a year later, when he was 12, he remembered his grandmother's devout prayer life, and he was praying. And while he was praying, he had this overwhelming sense of God speaking. You ever had that where it's not really a voice, but it's just this overwhelming sense of God speaking to you? And he he had that at 12, and he he said uh, the the sense was that God was telling him to ask God to let him help people. So what he sensed was God was wanting him to say to him, I want to help me help people. There was no answer after that. He didn't see any opportunity. He didn't see where God was leading him in any way to do that. So he went on. There was no change at that moment for Crusen. In our younger years, we asked, what am I to do with my life? And we'll talk to people who are gradu- getting ready to graduate from high school and say, what are you going to do? And, and it's like all of us, many of us have been there, and it's like, I, I have no idea. I don't, know what it's, I don't know what's out there. I don't know what it's like. So when we're young, what, what am I to do with my life? In our older years... We ask, what have I done with my life? What's the purpose? So in our passage today, we hear a man of God searching and expressing those very concerns. Let's read Jeremiah 20, beginning with verse 7 through verse 13. The prophet writes, O Lord, you deceived me, and I was deceived. You overpowered me and prevailed. I'm ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. Whenever I speak, I cry out proclaiming proclaiming violence and destruction. So the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. But if I say... And he did say, I'm not going to do it anymore. If I say, I will not mention him or speak anymore in his name, his word is in my heart like a what? Fire. A fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. I, he tried to suppress it and keep it in because it hurt too bad to let it out. And I'm weary of holding it in. Indeed, I'm not even able to hold it in. I hear many whispering, people talking about him, family, friends. Terror on every side. Now, if you look up earlier in this chapter... He gives that name to a fellow who put him in the stocks, who beat, had him beaten and put in stocks, pastor. In, uh, in verse 3 of chapter 20, he says to pastor, release him from the stocks, and Jeremiah said to him, the Lord's name for you is not pastor, but Magor Misabib, which is terror on every side. 
So now they're making fun of him. He's got a message, tear on every side, tear on every side, pointing at Jeremiah. Report him. Let's report him. All my friends are waiting me or waiting for me to slip, saying, Perhaps he will be deceived. Then we will prevail over him and take our revenge on him. But the Lord get this get the shift here. But the Lord is with me like a mighty warrior. So my persecutors will stumble and not prevail. They will fail and be thoroughly disgraced. Their dishonor will never be forgotten. O Lord Almighty, You who examine the righteous and probe the heart and mind. You notice He didn't say, O Lord Almighty, You who probe the wicked. He didn't say that, did He? He said, O Lord Almighty, You who examine the righteous. Do the righteous need to be examined? And probe the heart and mind. Let me see your vengeance upon them, for to you I have committed my cause. And then he really does a switch here. He's wrestling, he's struggling, and then he says in verse 13, Sing to the Lord. Give praise to the Lord. He rescues the life of the needy from the hands of the wicked. Jeremiah is a prophet with a very challenging task, I would say. More than I've experienced, to be honest. He is to preach a message of judgment to his family, his friends, and his country. He does so with a real connection to that community, which brings him personal grief. He feels for the people, his family, and the people he's grown up with. But he has this message, and he became... He became known as the weeping prophet. Jeremiah is doing what God has told him to do. Preach. And yet circumstances become very dire. It seems the more faithfully he lives and proclaims God's truth and mercy, the more he receives pain and misery from his family, friends, and community leaders. He states that God, by His sheer power, has deceived him and trapped him into his calling. When you read the first part of this book of Jeremiah, he was a young man, and he resisted God's calling on his life because he says, I'm young. I'm too young. And when when he says in here, you deceived me, some... Some uh, scholars have said the word for deceived is not necessarily lying to me, but it's, it's one who is naive or simple. And, and they say he may be referring to, I was just a young guy when you called me. I didn't realize it meant all this. Regardless, he was struggling. And eventually, though, he struggles, he wrestles, he asks God's question, he makes his statements, he empties his heart, and he comes to the point of praise. How did he get there? 
So as we look at Jeremiah in this passage, we discovered that being on mission with God involves honest reflection. Being on mission with God involves honest reflection for all of us. What does that reflection entail? Well, it involves a reevaluation of our expectations when we come to him. We may have certain expectations of God that aren't true, that aren't real, that aren't part of the mission. This evaluation involves the evaluation of our expectations of God and our expectations of the world. What do you, let me ask this question, what do you expect from God? When you came to him, what do you expect from him? Are those expectations being met? Have you ever questioned, where is he going with this? What do we expect from the world? Sometimes we act like when God gives us a calling, when God comes and saves us, we're no longer made of that stuff. We don't become more than human less. We, we are who we are. And when we come to him, we're redeemed. And we have a new focus. But what's our expectation of the world? If they don't know him, is our expectation you ought to act like us. What does it mean to serve God? What was happening was not what Jeremiah expected, obviously. He had just been putting in stocks. He had been beaten and putting in stocks for being faithful. And in the beginning of this book, in the beginning of his ministry, this is what God promised to him. In, in chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, God said this when Jeremiah said, but I'm just too young. He said, God said to him, and I, behold, I make you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. Now wait a minute. (laughs) I was just beaten and put in stocks. What does that mean? 
God said that to him at the very beginning. They shall not prevail against you, for I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. So why didn't Jeremiah just the pastor cite a verse and claim the promise? Why didn't he do the name it, claim it thing? I'm claiming God's promise you won't prevail. You have no power over me, as they put him in the stocks. A little confusing. Because it doesn't work that way. God is not our good luck charm, our get out of jail free pass, if if you still play Monopoly. Nor is he the next best gadget to make our lives easier and more comfortable. You ever notice how frustrated you get when you're working on a computer and it takes more than 30 seconds? How aggravating. No, he's not that. He's dead. He's dead serious about his mission of redemption to this whole world. Jeremiah suffered difficulty, mockery, embarrassment, humiliation, and physical harm while fulfilling his mission, the mission that God had given him. He even says in our passage today, it was so difficult that I just wanted to quit. So he stopped. But God's word and message, his message was so important to the Lord to get out because he loves people. He wants to redeem them. Jeremiah's family, friends, and community, those who put him in the socks. God wanted to reach them. And when Jeremiah said, it's too hard, it hurts too badly. That word was like a fire. And, and Jeremiah says, I just got tired of trying to keep it in and contained. He said, I wasn't able to. That's how much God wants to work in and through our lives for a redemptive purpose to those out there. Where we're headed, by the way, when the service is over. <laughs> We may be doing what God has called us to do. And it may not seem to be working. How are we measuring that? What's our metric for that? Is really what I'm doing making a difference? It is if you're fulfilling His call. New Testament says there's one thing required of a steward, and it's speaking of followers of Christ as stewards. And what is that one thing it says? 
to be, huh? To be faithful. Doesn't matter how many. Doesn't matter whether you think it's fruitful. It's just being faithful. So we may need to reevaluate what we expect from God in following Him. He said, and Jesus said, Do not marvel that the world hates you. It hated me before it hated you. Now, let's not turn that around and say, If I get people to hate me, that means I love Jesus. Because your heart is so connected to their salvation, and they may not appreciate that. Don't marvel. That's what our leader did. Don't marvel. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said in his work in the cost of discipleship, Jesus bids us to what? Come and die. Take up your cross daily and follow me. So we reevaluate our expectations. And when we change our expectations, we trust in the sovereignty of God. Now, I'm not talking about a fatalism. Sovereignty of God doesn't mean, hey, you know, no matter what I do, it's going to turn out this way. The sovereignty of God for him was, I know, God, that things will turn out. It's a compassionate sovereignty, if I can say it that way. I know that it's going to be the best your way, and you will seek to get it done so that people can honestly make a decision to love you in a voluntary way. They will choose. They won't be made to. But God, I can trust in you that even through the pain of it all, and I know we have a fuller picture looking back to Christ, that all that meant to God, that he entered into this world, took upon a sort of flesh, went to the cross, and conquered what we couldn't so that we could know Him. We can trust in that kind of sovereignty, that kind of God who is working for your and my benefit and the one who doesn't even know Him yet, and maybe, and even the one, not maybe, even the one who shouts in His face, who, who disregards Him, who blasphemes Him. Do we believe that? Apostle Paul, in his zealousness, what did he do? He was serving God, persecuting Christians. He he came in, took them out, To be punished, to be sentenced, maybe even to die. But God loved Paul. And God saved Paul. 
And God gave Paul a mission. We can trust in the sovereignty of God. It's Jesus who, when he came, he lamented over Jerusalem. And Luke says in another place, he wept over Jerusalem. And it's there they cried out, crucify him. We understand that ultimately this God who so loved the world, he gave his only son for its well-being. Now, I wouldn't want those people to be judged. And I think it would be at times right if God just quit putting up with it. And sometimes we read a psalm and it sounds like that, right? And even in Jeremiah, I mean, I'm not saying, I don't know, is that right or wrong? I don't know. I know the enemies of God and and those who fight against God. But I don't think He wants me to hate them and wish that they die. Maybe, Maybe He does. Maybe I missed it. Jeremiah certainly speaks about God being a mighty warrior in his dilemma here. And a faith in the sovereignty of God, but he also expresses and confesses in there that he can trust in him because God God examines the heart of the righteous. And Jeremiah, I think, might have been laying himself out there. I'm feeling this way, God. But I know I can trust in you because you'll lead me to the right place, the redemptive place, the place that is Calvary. But it's not easy to go that way. We're like water. We follow our electricity. We follow the path of least resistance, right? Remember this? Where did where did these where were these words spoken? Father Well first these were spoken. My God. No, first these were spoken. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Did he mean that? Forgive them? When he's being crucified? And then, at the end, what was his words? My God, my God, why? What? Why have you forsaken me? This thing of being on mission with God, God is dead serious about, and it's a challenge for all of us. And it's not, it's not that we're... Um, I'm trying to say we're bad people because, hey, we're certainly not living up to that. That's not the message. The message is God is very serious about redeeming this world. And if it costs me something, 
I need to have the heart to say it's worth it. Now, I'm not telling you I'm there. But that's what being on mission, that's how serious. God isn't saying, well, you know, hey, I know, I, I love them, but hey, you know, just forget about them for a while. He's not here to do that. He, he didn't create us for that purpose. He created us for fellowship with him, for relationship. Sometimes I may want to withdraw and just continue any interaction with the world. It's just too hard. They don't seem to appreciate it. They only throw it back at me. I'm not going to do it anymore. It hurts too bad. It's too hard. You're not reachable anyway. They'll never change. Have you ever heard? <laughs> have you ever heard anybody say, "People don't change. People can't change. Those people can't change." Sometimes we find solace and comfort in the fact that those who reject God's love will experience His wrath. But the challenge of being on God's mission means I continue, I continue in this world as an ambassador, an ambassador of His, sent for the purpose of reconciliation. As His followers, that's what Paul says we are. As we take our part in God's mission, we understand more the heart and pain of this redemptive God. That's why you hear in the Bible the the, um, characteristics of God explained in human ways so that we can understand this isn't a machine. This is a God who loves. This is a God who feels. And as we are on mission with him, we begin to understand more as they reject us. Remember Samuel? Uh, When they wanted a king, and Samuel was really bummed. They're rejecting me. And what did God say to Samuel? They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. And Samuel, you're beginning to feel what I feel. And it's a heart that then begins to understand God's perspective. And it's a heart that doesn't want to give up because we're in tune with the heart of God that goes through the cross to the resurrection. And when we come to the point to trust, we struggle, we trust in God's compassionate sovereignty, we then can fulfill that purpose that he has for us. We gratefully fulfill his purpose even though it may mean personal discomfort. Discomfort. 
We've removed our presuppositions and erroneous expectations and begin to look for information and direction. That's why Jeremiah could praise. He said some pretty straight things, didn't he? You took either you deceived me or you took advantage of my youth and now you've trapped me into this thing and it's so hard to do. I can't do it. And yet he works through that. He pours his heart out. He's real. He's honest. He's not Superman. He's honest man. And in that pouring out, he comes to the understanding that I can trust you, God. I can. I hadn't figured it all out, but I can. And I will praise you. Now, if you read the rest of this verse, you're going to go, man, what, what's wrong with this guy? Man, he's got problems. Because he goes on in this chapter and he, and he curses the day he was born. The difficulty is real. And if we're going to commit and follow God, the price. Jesus told people, did He not count the cost? Doesn't mean you can't. I'm not telling you that you're not able. I'm not wanting to say to you, don't come to Me because it's impossible for you I want you to be honest with me. And when you're honest and you fail, that's okay. Because <laughs> we're on mission together. And I'm working this out. And I'm going to redeem. Or they're at least going to know that I want to redeem them because you've been faithful. And I will then, at that moment, they, we will have the conversation. Why didn't you? they didn't like Jeremiah's preaching because he kept talking about judgment. And they wanted to feel good. And they felt like they could do that because they had the temple. And they could go to the temple. And in Jeremiah 7, there's a whole temple sermon there. And, and they felt the safety and security because of the temple. Sometimes we're like that at church. Sometimes we come in here, and it's not wrong to come here and to encourage one another and to exalt Him together, but this isn't the safe place. This is the place to, to understand the mission. This is the place to get the heart of God. Because you know where we're going. I'm not coming. We're not, I'm not, we're not sleeping here tonight. You're going to go to your house. We're going to go to ours. You're going to go to your job. We retired folks are going to do our retired thing. But, but we won't leave this world.
And if we do, that's why that decision is so important. Jeremiah wasn't popular. He didn't make him feel good. But Jesus said, I didn't come for the well. He said, I came for the sick. A physician, a doctor isn't needed for people who are okay. When was the last time you really felt good and you said, I'm going to call the doctor? But when you feel bad or there's something of concern, you call the doctor. Jesus said, I didn't come for the well, I came for the sick. So Jeremiah, he's all right, isn't he? A prophet who is real. A man used of God who struggled. And because he struggled, he began to understand God a little better. Doesn't mean that now I gotta have find a struggle somewhere so I got No, just as you follow him, Jesus says, Don't pray, don't worry about tomorrow. Today there's enough evil in itself to challenge you. We don't have to go find it. All we have to do is be faithful. <clears throat> so I want to return to Cristobal Christen. He never found as he was several years, didn't find a way to help people. Instead, he entered into a relationship with a young lady named Elizabeth. And when Crusoe was approximately 20 years old, Elizabeth came to visit him in Texas around Easter. And they decided to go to church. They hadn't done that. He wasn't a churchgoer. He, he'd been struggling, trying to find his way and. uh, different philosophies. But they decided to go to church. She was down there for a week with him. And when they approached the church building, they were told there was no room in the church. It was full. While hearing this, other people were passing them and entering the church. Well, that makes you wonder a little bit. You see, Elizabeth and Cristobal were an interracial couple. They left that day. They left a church building that day not attending the Easter service. (laughs) Isn't that ironic? Gathering to worship a risen Savior and keeping someone out when there was room? So, 
So eventually, Cristobal and Elizabeth married. He attended NYU, graduating from film school there. During this time, he was also seeking to know the truth. He was on a search. One day, he saw an advertisement of a holy man making an appearance in Greenwich Village. The phrase, holy man, focused his mind back to the time when he prayed as a young boy. When he had that sense of God prompting him to say, God, help me help people. Let me help people. He had become, as he was searching, and he read the Bible, he was intrigued by the life of Christ. He wanted to become a Christian, but had some doubts and questions, obviously. So when his mind raced back to the day of his childhood prayer, he thought about his request to help people. He now had a sense that God was saying to him, at this point, he had a sense that God was saying to him, you want to help people, but there's something you need to do first. You need to let me help you. The graduate of NYU gave his life to Christ at that point. He was skipping a step. <laughs> we, can't, we can't create it on our own and it be eternally redemptive. God says, let me help. I, you need me to let, you, let, let me help you first. Then you can touch people in the way that I want to touch them through your life. His understanding about the decision he just made was that he would not be able to be... <laughs> he thought, now that I did that, I can't be a film director. I got to be a pastor or a missionary. He asked himself, What will I do for a living? He concluded, It doesn't matter. I am for God and God's for me. It was a life changing event for Cristobal. He started his life being on mission with God. So. As we close, what's your expectation of God today? What does it take to be on mission? First, we must let God, we must let God help us. And if you've never done it, by accepting what Jesus did on the cross and resurrection, you take that first step of having that personal relationship with a compassionate, sovereign God. Compassionate, sovereign God. Who will use your life to not only make it um, to center it upon you, but to make your life valuable to those around you, to make your life eternally beneficial, to make you a blessing 
to people. You'll be part of a worldwide movement helping people understand how much God loves them. Has it become too hard or too humiliating? Are you ready to quit? Jeremiah got there. But the words that came to Jeremiah exist today as we read them. And God continues to use the words of that broken man, but convicted man that he was going to follow God's call. And it'll lead us to praise the one who knows how to get it done. If you have never received him or you have not opened your heart to him, certainly you have the opportunity to do so here or wherever you go. You may have a friend somewhere that you would want to talk to about this that you know knows Christ and you feel comfortable talking to that person or praying with that person. I would encourage you to do so. If you want to talk after the service, there are people here that will talk with you. You may know them. I'd be glad to talk with you. But God calls us to a mission, a very serious one, one we can laugh, one we can have fun, but it's a very serious one. And each one of you has a part to play in that. God created you for that purpose. And people need you for that, whether they acknowledge it or not. God is at work.